Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Leuven in Belgium. Today I'm not alone. I am with, uh, well, the CTO of uh, Fetch AI, uh, Jonathan Ward. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? Hi, Francesco. Um, I'm doing good and uh, very pleased to meet you and uh, very happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and we have a lot to discuss today. Because uh, let me give you, uh, let me give them, the followers, <laughs> a quick intro about who who you are. So, uh, Jonathan is, as I said, the chief technical officer at Fetch AI. Uh, he leads a group of of quite diverse and heterogeneous team, I would say, uh, from machine learning researchers, engineers, of course, economists, and and cryptographers, and even mathematicians. So how come that diversity in the team? Well, I mean, it's we're working on very multi uh, interdisciplinary problems. So um, it's it's um, you know problems that typically are complex. Uh, they involve multiple stakeholders. They're distributed in space, and um, because whenever you have multiple stakeholders, there you also have to design incentives. So. Um, and it also happens that cryptography is a very powerful tool for um, sharing information, controlling access, um, doing lots of other things. So um, it's a really exciting time and a really exciting opportunity to um, combine all these te technologies in many different ways. Absolutely. And so for the few out there who still don't know what Fetch AI does, uh, well, I would say that Fetch AI provides a framework for building and customizing decentralized autonomous AI networks to carry out complex coordination tasks. That's some sort of definition. Please feel free to add more <laughs> if you feel like. Yeah, um, well, so, I mean, we, there, there's many different aspects of that. So um, one element, I would split them into two main categories. So one element is that, um, um, you know, blockchain technology itself is quite um, difficult to use. Um, it's um, quite manual. It, it's quite slow. And there's lots of features of that which are quite un unpleasant. So um, somebody who is um, coming in from the outside would find it quite difficult to use that technology. And what we're effectively doing with our multi-agent systems is creating tools that make all of these things easy and that ultimate automate tasks for you. So whether that's interacting with DeFi protocols, they can manage your funds so that uh, you don't lose money or um, you're not having to constantly interact with uh, blockchains or um, where, where you know, a greater security is provided to, to you in the way you're interacting with the technology. That's one aspect of it. The, the other half, which is, I'd say, more machine learning orientated, is around the idea that uh, there's lots of people with data and there's lots of people who, who have shared interests. So um, if you're a bank or an insurance company, you've got an interest in, in ensuring your customers aren't uh, defrauded. If you're a predictive maintenance company, you know, if you're built, involved in manufacturing, you're interested in making sure your machine's working. And there are other manufacturers that also have the same machine, have the same interest. And what we effectively do is provide tools that allow people to uh, work together to solve problems uh, without necessarily sharing the underlying data. And we can do that in lots of ways. Um, we use techniques from machine learning. We use techniques from cryptography. Uh, and obviously, in all in all of these cases where you have multiple stakeholders, it's really important that you have incentives so that people 
are um, incentivized to participate in a way that, that works for everybody. Well, and uh, indeed, as I said, there is a lot to discuss here. Uh, you already mentioned a few uh, topics, I would say, like probably you touched with federated learning and, uh, and uh, um, uh, secure machine learning, in fact. Um, uh, the economy of things uh, when it comes to incentives. Uh, we'll speak more in details about this uh, in a minute. Before we get to the details of what FHAI does and how you guys are doing that, um, I see that you are used to very complex, you know, handling and, and dealing with very complex uh, problems. I, I, I see that from your uh, your PhD, you were dealing with proteins and, uh, and protein folding problems, which are notoriously extremely hard to, to solve, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the thing um, I would say, I mean, I worked in academia for a while and I was just always really excited by the kind of dichotomy between non-living things and living things. And what you have is that, you know, you, you have like a like inanimate matter that doesn't do anything. And then you have like, we're all made of the same stuff, but, you know, we're alive. And the real big question is, is how does you, you put those simple components together like proteins uh, until eventually you get something that's qualitatively different. And, um, you know, that's that's a really, really exciting challenge, really, really fun one. Um, and it has a lot of similarities with the kind of things we're doing, it, well, in some ways with, with blockchain in the sense that you have all of these atomic tools that are really powerful and useful in their own right, but you put them together and then you have something that's qualitatively different. And I think you know the the very first um, Bitcoin white paper where essentially it was just combining lots of different technologies. You then had something that enabled something that was qualitatively different to what all of those different technologies could do on their own. So that's the kind of link between you know my past sort of research career and, and what's exciting me about what I'm doing today. Well, it is exciting indeed, uh, as it happens with many new technologies. Uh, we have seen this pattern a number of times, of course, uh, and especially when you know with new technologies, there are uh, you know the population of the skeptics, right? <laughs> People don't believe in the in the potential of that particular technology, and uh, probably we have faced the most active ten years. The last ten years have been probably the most active when it comes to blockchain technology. And still, there is a population, you know, some people that still find it, you know, struggling to find a, a, a practical use case um, that would justify uh, the existence of a technology like blockchain technology. Uh, why is that? I would like to have some of your thoughts on, on, the, on this particular matter. Well, I think I think it's it's. I mean, although ten years seems like a long time, it's it's still relatively short in technology terms. I mean, the the, the internet itself is probably fifty years old, um, and it's one of these things that it, you know it's it's kind of quite a difficult technology to get right. So what I would say is is that um, for for a technology that's only ten years old, it's it's come a long way, and I think. It's like a, a, a you know a, a lot of these things is you know you can go from being a very good technology that's kind of okay a bit clunky useful for a few, few things, and I think that you know it's matured to the extent by to by around now around this time that it's being suddenly becoming useful for many different things, and uh, I think we're just on the cusp really of, of really big widespread adoption of the technology, and I, I think. Um, in, in the context of other technologies, 10 years isn't a long time and, and the progress has been very impressive. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. There are even programming languages after 10 years. It depends pretty much on the adoption from new developers. And, you know, so even for a, a tiny programming language with respect to blockchain technology or an entire technology full stack, uh, you know, it's the tip of an iceberg and still it requires, you know, a couple of decades to to take place and to take over other other things. Uh, so, yeah, that skepticism is still justified, but there are things moving from the real world, uh, specifically, uh, you know, the, the use cases that we wanted to always wanted to see blockchain in action. And there are some of those, right? Uh, Fetch AI is directly involved with um, some of them are related to uh, multi-agent technology and collective learning. And one in particular that really uh, intrigues me, which is uh, about smart cities. Uh, do you mind expanding on that a bit? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think that the, the smart cities is is I guess what you, what you're thinking about there is is that potentially you have um, many interactions with many many different devices and. Um, the, the sort of things that we're doing in terms of the agent-based technology. So we're applying them in a, in a large extent to DeFi, uh, be, main reason being that that's, um, you know, that's kind of uh, narrowly within the blockchain ecosystem. So you're not necessarily having to worry about, you know, getting the device, getting your software onto other people's devices and dealing with the regulatory side of things. Um, but a lot, a lot of the people who we're working on, we, we all want automation. So nobody wants to have to connect, you know, via Bluetooth to 10 different devices and, and for all of those things to be very slow and clunky. And what, what the, the beauty of, of the agent-based technology particularly is that um, as long as you can adopt some degree of standards, uh, you can effectively um, manage all of that complexity um, Within software, which is is essentially what we all want, uh, and that can that can also make a qualitatively big difference because um, you know software can react in real time. So um, if it needs to rearrange, you know, um, the the settings of of the environment in your home, it can do that to optimize the energy usage profile. Obviously, having a big impact on the environment without you personally noticing. Uh, and then in, in other ways, in terms of traffic management and in lots of other ways, essentially the same paradigm um, of this software going out, um, continually, continuously monitoring its environment and adapting to, to, to it in real time while interacting with other agents that are doing the same thing uh, can, can drive a tremendous improvements in, in efficiency. I mean, we're still, I mean, that, that I would say we're still relatively early days with that. That's, that's in a way, one thing that's going to be enabled a lot by the tech, by the blockchain, core blockchain technology maturing. But um, again, it's a very exciting application. And uh, there is actually one in particular I'm referring to, uh, which is the project Smart City in Munich, in Germany, uh, when we're essentially, I believe that's some sort of multi-agent technology, right? Where each, the single agent is in fact the car, uh, that tries to find a parking parking lot. Uh, now, of course, the hassle of parking lot finding a parking uh, lot available is a thing. It's a real thing. Uh, another thing is the hassle of parking tickets. Different technologies, different providers. Uh, and another thing is these cars going around in an unoptimized way and you know polluting the environment for example that's a kind of an an indirect improvement that can be done if certain problems get solved right um, now my question to you and again i want to be very critical uh, playing a bit of devil's advocate here 
why blockchain for this particular use case? Uh, because one might come and say, we can centralize this, we can have one central server and all the agents slash cars or mobile devices would just connect the, the, the traditional way, right? It would be probably even faster. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, I think that's, that, that's a fair point. I mean, what I would say is that um, there's, there's a few different things there. So whenever, whenever you have the, the centralized server, you always have some individual who has a preferred position in the network. So if I'm coordinating all of the users to different um, providers, all those providers have to trust uh, that in that, that in independent party. And of course, if they are centralized and they're a monopoly, then they have the freedom to set prices arbitrarily to whatever they want. Um, and I would say, secondly, the underlying crypto technology for, say, um, state channels and peer-to-peer -peer, uh, trading, uh, uh, sharing of information, um, that means that you can kind of, you don't have a centralized intermediary controlling all of that. Um, you, you're protecting users' privacy. So as an individual, I can interact with it um, and keep my own data sovereign. Um, and I think the third thing is that, you know, it, it, can, it can be more efficient because, um, you know, reconciling many different databases between many, many different parties is, is, is quite expensive. So if you can do all of those things on chain, you, you kind of reduce that coordination burden. So I think, um, importantly, there's the whole decentralization argument, which is a common one, but I think we can also compete on, um, um, on, on efficiency as well. And indeed, also, I was mentioning uh, regulatory issues uh, when you try to combine, for example, multiple data providers or just let them interoperate and stay interconnected. There are also regulatory barriers that they have to uh, overcome, uh, for sure, especially in Europe, I would say. Um, out of curiosity, Jonathan, what's the type of data that gets exchanged uh, in the Project Smart City uh, of City of Munich? Uh, like, could there be high dimensional data, uh, large volumes for which blockchain technology is notoriously not the right technology for, for those things, right? Well, so, I mean, that, that's an interesting point. So what I would say is um, there are many decentralized storage solutions that don't necessarily uh, require that data to be stored on chain. So uh, there are technologies that um, IPFS, which is basically instead of there being uh, a location where the data is, um, the, the content is, is can be stored in many different places uh, and it can be recovered. And of course, we can uh, design cryptographic protocols so that can be accessed in certain ways and, and, and deleted uh, deliberately at certain times. So there are, there are many tools that we can use to, to essentially share data without it necessarily being stored on the blockchain, but where the blockchain kind of stores is, a, is, is sort of, I would say, the index or the, uh, the dictionary of where all those data, data points live and what they're for. Um, so there, there are solutions in terms of the, the, the data problem. The other thing is the blockchains themselves are getting much, much faster. So they can store more data and we can uh, process more transactions as well. So um, in the in the case of the, uh, the the parking example, you know the data isn't there isn't huge huge amounts of data involved there, but there are definitely solutions for for problems where there are lots of data. Well, yeah, the volume probably I was referring to. If you start, you know, scaling uh, solutions like this one, not just to some areas within Munich, but maybe the entire city or probably entire much more extended geographic regions, then you know the volume of data regardless of the 
size of the single transaction can be quite quite large, right? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think what 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 you can also do though is that um, there's a natural sharding of, of that situation, which is that as me as a, a driver, I'm I'm interested in uh, car parking spaces within say a ten or twenty mile radius. So you can potentially have a chain that's that's dealing with a particular region, which would just be Munich. Uh, that doesn't, and then you could potentially, as a user, switch to the say Berlin version of the blockchain, and then you could have that talking to other kinds of blockchains. So there are, so the path that is cool. <laughs> a, a, a good example of, of 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 a situation where you can naturally shard uh, the chain, and um, you can have interoperability between those chains, and you know, and this 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 technology exists today, so we can do that today. Geospecific shards. <laughs> I don't know. I tried to give you the name. Yeah. <laughs> well, and speaking about fancy yeah. names, IPFS, for those who don't know, stands for Interplanetary File System, which is really a, <laughs> really a fancy name indeed. <laughs> the grand one. Yeah, it could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, do you know how I get private access to the open internet? With a VPN, of course, but not just any VPN. I use Surfshark. With Surfshark, I eliminated problems like ad manipulation, price discrimination whenever I purchase online, identity theft, and tracking in general. I can also access streaming platforms like Netflix, Disney+, Prime Video, and many others from anywhere in the world. Last time I was in the US, some of my favorite series magically became available because I connected to UK with Surfshark. Surfshark encrypts all the internet traffic sent to and from all my devices and it hides my IP address so nobody can see what I do online. And all that with one simple click. If you use coupon code data science, you get 83% off for a two years plan and three additional months for free. That makes 27 months for less than $60 or 50 euros. So get Surfshark at surfshark.deals slash data science and protect your privacy now. Check the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com and get your coupon code for free. Um, back to Fetch AI. Um, from a simple point of view, uh, what are Fetch AI's autonomous economic agents? Um, and do you have any projects in the blockchain space that you would consider as competitors or doing something similar in that space? Yeah, so I, I mean, the 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 explanation of what autonomous economic agents is is, is basically that we call, the reason we call them that fairly long-winded thing is is because that describes precisely what they're doing. So they're autonomous, so they they operate with very little human input. Uh, they're economic, so they're solving economic problems. So that typically involves uh, essentially financial exchange. Uh, and their agents, which means they kind of operate, um, they kind of interact with the world. So they actually actively perform tasks. They're not just statically monitoring things. I think uh, there are other, definitely other projects that are involved in, in automating different aspects of blockchain technology. I would say um, I'm not aware of anyone else who's working on agents in the, in the way we are, uh, in the sense that we're trying to make something that's very generic. So we can apply it to DeFi, we can use it to make oracles, we can use it for parking problems, but we can also um, you know, use it for um, supply chains or other things. So I think, I think in that, that respect, we are unique, um, but I'm sure, I mean, definitely, I think there's a rec uh, recognition within the, the, 
the space that automation is a very useful feature to have. Uh, and I'm sure there will be many others who are doing it in, in maybe a slightly different way. Well, yeah, for sure. There, there is a crowded space. Um, uh, I would say also a lot of noise uh, in the space. Um, everybody's trying to solve the same problem with different flavors, uh, which is good. I mean, in fact, it's a, I see it as a positive thing, of course. Um, if we want to speak about some technologies, we mentioned one in particular, federated learning. So what technologies from Fetch AI are considered as potential solutions for the use cases that we are exploring today? Okay, well, I mean, so you, you mentioned federated learning. I think um, I can I can expand a bit on, on the limitations of existing federated learning systems and, and, and where we think we've provided a solution. So um, obviously what federated learning does is it, it, it Essentially, on, on if you take mobile phones as an example, uh, Google goes away and solves a, a text recognition problem, but it, it does the training on your device. And then essentially a big server accumulates all of that information and builds a, a better machine learning model, um, which is fine. Uh, of course, the, the downside is, is that, again, there's a single party in control. They have the benefit of the model. They have essentially access to all of this information and they get the economic benefit from it. Now, if you take um, you know, a, a more general situation, like um, a, a good one is manufacturing. So we've been working recently with, with Bosch and other, other manufacturers on, on this particular issue, which is that they're, they're building machines and they're generating huge amounts of data. And then they're selling that equipment to different um, automotive companies who are all using it. Now, all of those companies have an interest in making sure that device runs efficiently so it's not stopping their assembly line but they don't want to spend a lot of time on maintaining it uh, and at the same time you know these failures in these devices are, are very rare because they're designed to be very reliable so the, the the idea is is that potentially what we can do is we can build a collective learning system where all of those guys can somehow can can keep their own data so they're not sharing any data and then what we can do using the blockchain is essentially build a federated learning model between all of those different participants. Um, and we can do that without any of them. It can be completely decentralized. So none of those, those guys is in, a, is in a, a preferred position. They're very, very worried about potentially giving overall control of that kind of thing to a centralized intermediary, particularly one of the big tech, tech companies. Um, and it's a very, very nice application of, um, of blockchain technology. It's something that's, it's, it's a kind of business model and a way of operating that just wouldn't be feasible without having a blockchain. But so curiosity of mine, if there is no one actor that takes the benefits of the, you know, of the train model, could there be, um, could that be that um, all of the participate, uh, participants to the federated learning process take benefit, which means that at some point of the training, one of these participants can just run away with the model and there we could have some regulatory constraints uh, or violations, for example, when I start using this model in you know, uh, other contexts for which the data was not supposed to be trained for, et cetera, et cetera, you know, consent, for example. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a good point. Um, I think that there are obviously different flavors of this, but what is really nice is is that this is where techniques like differential privacy and where um, cryptography comes in, because uh, you know in the first flavor of the model we would have one that's um, open and shared between many parties, 
but there are definitely also techniques that obscure the model such that uh, no individual party has access to the entirety of the model uh, and then isn't in a position to sell it. So um, there are there are various uh, cryptographic techniques and other other ways of of essentially solving that problem. MPC. Uh, you can do that. Yeah, that's one solution to it. Yeah, multi-party computation. Uh, there's another set of techniques based on uh, homomorphic encryption. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, those, those would be the main ones. You can also do things like um, you can split the model. So effectively, you stack a, a machine, a neural network model. So you can have um, a set of parties controlling the first set of layers a different set containing the middle and a different containing the top. Now, uh, each of those individual individual components are completely useless without, without the other one. So um, there are definitely solutions to, to the problem of the model being, um, being stealable uh, in, this, in this instance. Well, I wonder how uh, the network layer, I mean, there would be a there could be a huge latency in the training if you start you know dis distributing the model layer by layer or, or you know set of layers. Um, I mean, network can play a very bad role there when you when you start training this model in. Uh, that is a good, uh, that's also a good point. I mean, I think the the I mean that's also something that we're looking at on a research uh, level. So there are there are many different techniques that you can use to solve that. So. Um, Typically, the way you think about training a machine learning model is that um, it's it's very serial. So you're essentially taking one step, another step, another step. But there's definitely different ways you can have ensembles of different machine learning models. So you can train it asynchronously. Um, you can you could also split the model up so that there's there's there are kind of multiple single models that combine together make a really good model. Um, so there are many, um, th this is where it gets, um, I'd say an interesting engineering challenge because essentially you have all of these pieces and what you're trying to do is kind of optimize the overall things. And there are definitely trade-offs between, like you say, the, um, um, the security and the speed of training and the efficiency and the quality of the model. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Jonathan, you mentioned already one uh, particular use case, you know, particularly designed for, I would say, the enterprise, which is the Bosch uh, use case for so supply chain, if I'm not wrong. Um, are there other enterprise level use cases that you would like to mention? Because uh, also skepticism is uh, always behind the corner, especially for the enterprise, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, ma manufacturing is definitely one. I mean, the one, I mean, obviously I was working on, on biosciences. So um, the thing that's closest to my heart is probably an application in healthcare. Uh, and then, then another one would be um, financial services. I think um, probably healthcare and financial services are, um, are perhaps the best application or, or the most valuable one in the sense that um, those industries, they're quite tightly regulated, so it's not that easy for them to share data and on privacy rules and a variety of other reasons. Um, and they're also they're also huge, hugely valuable. I mean, the value of that data is hugely high. So um, the kind of issues that you're talking about with, um, you know, maybe trading being inefficient and that sort of thing uh, are less of an issue when you have hugely valuable industries with very, very valuable data. And usually these data are also perfectly siloed. So. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so let me switch gear here um, because I am pretty sure that we are driving towards the, this was extremely interesting, but I know that there is a subpopulation of followers at Data Science at Home that are really extremely interested in knowing a lot more about the team uh, and uh, about you know skills and background of the team members. Uh, they actually would love to sit in your office and know your, your team members. Right? So can you tell us a bit more about your team at Fetch? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, oh, well, now you put me on the spot. So I don't know. I don't know who I'm allowed to talk about. So a lot of them are very shy, it has to be said. So um, a lot of them wouldn't like me saying positive things about it. We have a great bunch of people who are really motivated by uh, making really nice software. They're really dedicated to, um, to, to producing good, good, uh, effective tools for people. Um, I mean, we also have uh, Hermione. Um, I guess people will know Hermione very well. I mean, he's um, a hugely creative and a hugely driven person who, who he comes into the office every day and he challenges people uh, to, do, to do more things and to do more exciting things. I think we've we've got uh, we've had in the in the past and and now we have outstanding uh, researchers who've created really fantastic things. So um, so yeah, I think it's in general it's it's a place which is um, you know we're, we're very very focused on on the on the very exciting things that we get to work on every day. I mean it's it's a privilege to be able to to, to work on these things and and to be able to push boundaries in 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 you know these new technologies. What are the typical technologies that your team uh, deal with on a daily basis, like programming languages, cloud technologies, storage, compute? What, what's what's in what's on on the table there? Well, so okay, technology stacks. So I mean, we we have pretty diverse technologies. So the agent framework itself is uh, mostly written in Python. Uh, the reason being that obviously there's a big uh, community in AI and data science that works with that technology. So I think that. Uh, that as a client and a way of interacting with blockchains can be a really exciting um, uh, bridge between data science and blockchain technology. So what I would say, if anybody's got a data science background, please check out the agent framework and you can start playing very quickly around with, with blockchains. Um, the blockchain itself is, is, is written in Golang. We have smart contracts that are written in Rust, which is a, a very beautiful, very nice new language, which uh, I like very much. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we have uh, obviously lots of web, web development experience. I would say as a company, we are very DevOps focused. So we're very much in the idea of you know, software should be uh, deployable easily. It should, be, it should run easily. Um, it should not require a lot of um, work from the um, from the IT team. So I'd say those are the kind of rough sort of technical uh, philosophies that we have internally. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes even more sense that you guys are into Rust, like uh, like like the cool kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, every, like everyone. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything on your roadmap that you would like to share with the followers at Data Science at Home podcast? Uh, well, so we have lots of uh, very exciting collective learning stuff coming out soon. I don't. So we have a, a collaborative artwork project, um, and that's going to be a case of again uh, working together to solve uh, a machine learning model, but a something that can really engage with. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess the issue a little bit with machine learning can be that you know, do you have a good data set? Are you interested? But this is something that 
anybody who's interested in machine learning and collective learning can participate in. So yeah, so um, you know, watch this space for for, for more information on that. Um, and we also have lots of really exciting ongoing work with uh, um, our partners. And yeah, looking forward to uh, sharing more information about that uh, relatively soon. Absolutely, and uh, we would be very glad to share some of these links uh, on in the show notes of this episode at uh, the official website datascienceathome.com. Jonathan, it was great to have you here on the show. We do love Fetch. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Really great chatting to you. Thanks for, thanks for the conversation. A lot of fun. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.